Take your Bibles if you would, and let's open the Word of God to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, there in your Old Testament. And um, this morning we're in a series on Sunday mornings entitled Words from God's Word. Last week we looked at a word from Leviticus, and this week we're in Deuteronomy. And that's not necessarily by design. It just happens to be our next word. Uh, We're kind of using the alphabet as our guide. So last week with the letter A, we looked at the word atonement. And we understand the importance of the blood of Jesus to wash away our sins and how it makes us at one with God again. And we thank the Lord for what He did for us. And so today's word is going to obviously start with the letter B. We'll find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. So once you've found your place, if you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word, I'll have prayer, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And you can follow along. I'll give you the challenge to see if you can pick out the Word this morning before I announce it, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, and in just a moment, we'll begin in verse 1. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, how we look to you. In our time, Lord, in this service, in your word, we pray you'd bless the reading of God's word. And we pray you'd use it, Lord, to stir our hearts, to speak to us, to help us. We ask you, Lord, just to still us these few moments. Help us to just concentrate, listen, and focus on the word and the message that you have for us today. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to every heart and give guidance and direction to our lives from your word. We pray you'd bless us and help us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Verse 1, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy doors, And on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then Beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth 
out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Well, verse 12 is our text verse. If you haven't realized it yet, we're looking at that word. Beware. It's an important word. One that we need to consider and uh, listen to what God has to say, the things that we should beware of in His Word. Thank you. You may be seated. Now I just want to invite you to listen in, be still, and hear what God wants to say to our hearts this morning. This is a message that I honestly wish I didn't have to preach. It's a word that I wish you and I, we didn't have to say. But in this world we live in, it's an important word. It's one that God gave us to remember. The word beware. You would think in a church setting like this that we wouldn't have to talk of such things. You would think that having received Christ as your Savior and believed on the Lord Jesus for salvation, receiving the forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven, having the, the Word of God to guide us and a, and a church family to surround us, you would think that all is well. But there would be no need to beware. But there is. You know, that's precisely why we have to heed this Word. Because there are many believers, I think all new believers probably fit into this category, of thinking that once you have received the Lord and you have a Bible in your life and a church family behind you, we, we kind of go into the, to the Christian journey thinking that everything's going to be okay and never again are we going to have problems. And everyone around us that holds a Bible or anyone that would speak to us from this book, certainly we could believe and cherish and trust what they say. But in the world we live in, we know that is not the case. And so, we do have to be on our guard. There are some things we have to pay attention to. And that's why the Lord gives us this word. Beware. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's see that God wants us to beware. Just before we do, in Luke 12, 15, the Lord Jesus told us to beware of covetousness. There are some specific things in the Christian life that you and I are to beware of. In 2 Peter 3, 17, we are reminded to beware lest we fall away. Right? We want to stay close to the Lord. Just because we have received eternal life, just because that forgiveness is eternally secure, it does not mean that now we can float along without paying attention to what's going on around us. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is an Old Testament passage. And I know there are those who would say, we do not live under the, under the Old Covenant, but now under the New Covenant of Jesus in the New Testament. And that is true but they would err from us when they add this. Therefore, we no longer need the Old Testament. And that is when they go too far. Paul said all things in the Old Testament were written for our admonition. 
And he was talking to people in the New Testament age. You and I need the Old Testament just as much as we need the New Testament. And don't allow that idea to distract you this morning that just because we are not obligated under the Old Testament ceremonial law, that doesn't mean that we don't need to heed some of the principles that God taught us in His Word in the Old Testament. Did you know many things in the Old Testament were repeated in the New Testament? For example, all of the Ten Commandments were repeated in the New Testament. And so, don't get the idea that, oh, we, don't, we can ignore that. Because there are things we need to remember, not ignore. Paul said they were written for our admonition. Look, we can learn and grow. We can be helped. They are part of the foundation that, that the Lord Jesus built upon when He built His church in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. You don't want to take the foundation out from under the structure. So let's take a look at what God gave us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And although we don't keep these things as a ceremonial ritual, we still want to pay attention to the spirit of the warning that God has given us here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So let's look at it with a, with a practical approach. Notice in verse 6, it says, These are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land. I was thinking as we read this text about discipleship. You know, the Bible says that we are to observe to do in, in the book of Joshua. But in Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission, it tells us that we're to go and we're to win people to Christ, baptize them, and then teach them to observe all things. The word observe means to do. It means to obey. And so we don't want to simply observe with our eyes. We want to observe with our life. It means that there is to be an obedience of things, following the Lord. This is the spirit that Deuteronomy 6 is written in. God is not saying that He wants us to check boxes of commandments that we've kept. What He is saying is that He wants His Word to be in our hearts in so much that it becomes part of our lifestyle, the way we live. God did not even want them in the Old Testament days to ceremonially and meticulously and ritualistically check off these things without having them in their heart. You see, the Lord was teaching His people that if you love God with all your heart, then the natural outflow should be these things occurring in your daily life when you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way. He, didn't, he wasn't teaching that we were to be mechanical in the way we carry this out but that we were to be faithful. He was teaching that this should be the natural outflow of an abundant heart who loves God so much that His Word would flow throughout their life, their life and their days. And that's why He described it the way He did. In verse 2, it says that thou mightest fear the Lord God to keep His statutes. Verse 3, uh, notice it said at the end of verse 2, that thy days may be prolonged. Hey, how many of us understand that God knows 
God understands what we call life. <clears throat> and God has given us the prescription, if you will, to the best life we can live. And if we do what God said, and if we do the right things, our days can be prolonged. Do we understand that? So why would we not want to heed the Lord and hear His message? <clears throat> I think we should. Notice verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Mm, pardon me. So he's talking about this promised land, the land that he's promised to the fathers of Israel, the forefathers. You know, in the Christian life, <clears throat> these things are a, they're like a metaphor to us. Um, they're, they're, they're like a picture. It's like an allegory. We read the Old Testament and we see that God promised to Israel this geographical location. It's the land they now occupy. Israel owns the land, not Palestine. Okay? The, Isaac was the promised son, not Ishmael. We have to understand that. So, so God is promising them this place, literally, and they're going to go into it and dwell there. And He said it's a good place. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And you're going to find all these blessings there. Excuse me. Now, for them, it was literal. For us, it's an allegory. We refer to this picture in the New Testament age. We refer to this promised land as the victorious Christian life. God wants you and I to live in victory all our days. And in the New Testament era, Christ has set us free from the law, from sin and death. And when we live out the principles of the Bible, we are headed toward what we call the victorious Christian life. That is our promised land. It's a land of God's blessings. It's a land of goodness. And we want to be able to, to do that and be victorious down here on earth. Notice what he said in verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. You know, when your heart is overflowing with the love of God, when your heart is overflowing with the content of His words, then you're going to find yourself day in and day out thinking of the Lord, saying prayers, singing songs, and doing things that God taught us to do in His Word. And that's what he was talking about in the next verse when he said, Thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children and talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. God didn't want this to be some ritual. He didn't want us to mechanically force conversations and things to happen so we could check these boxes. He was trying to teach us that this needs to be a way of life and it will be if we love God like we should. Then the natural outpouring of our lives would come from the overflow out of our hearts, the abundance of the love of God in His Word. What a beautiful life he's painting here. How that the blessings of God and the words of God spill over into our lives 
and, and spill into our children and our homes and spill into our affairs during the week, our business transactions, our friendships, right? All of these things that we do as we come and go throughout the week. God is to be a part of that, and He's to be on all that we do. This idea of, of listen, this idea of coming to church and being a Christian on Sunday only is ridiculous. You will never influence the world that way. You will not influence your children that way or your home. God wants us to blend as believers the sacred and the secular. They are to become one. As we serve an all-sufficient, all-knowing God, we make Him a part of everything we do. That's what He's describing here. So in verse 12, I want you to understand when he gives us this warning, it certainly applies to us also today. Then beware, he said, once you've come into this blessing, once you've occupied this place, he said, beware lest thou forget the Lord. What are we talking about? In verse 12, the first beware is the beware of forsaking the Lord. Forgetting Him. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, as a New Testament Christian, that's not possible. Once I receive Christ, that salvation and forgiveness is eternal. It is. But did you know, as a believer, we can live our lives without God in mind? Now, we're foolish when we do that, according to the Bible. Our proverb study is teaching us that then when we don't consider God in our ways, in our thoughts, that's foolish. But many Christians catch themselves at times living their life without bringing God into it. Why do they do that? Because they forget the Lord. There's a lot of things that cause us to forget the Lord. Here in Deuteronomy, the one thing that was going to distract them was the plenteousness, the blessings, the abundance. And you know, for some people, that's a distraction. Man, you let life get hard. Hey, listen, you let problems come and devastation, and they're going through the storm. And guess what? Man, they're in church. They're hitting the altar. They're reading their Bible. They're crying out to God. But listen, you let God come solve those problems and all the storm clouds roll away and the birds start singing again and you can't find them. And that's a real distraction for some people. When everything's going good, they are not seeking God. That's why the Lord told Israel, beware, when everything starts going good, beware, don't forget the Lord. I was pastoring a church in Georgia. And there was a man who hit troubled times, just like I said. He was going through it. He was trying to get custody of his kids. He was going through a nasty divorce. He wanted to get custody of his kids. Guess what? He, every time the doors were open at church, he was there. He was reading his Bible. He was at the altar. He was talking to me about his plans, asking for prayer. The day of the court case came for him to get custody of his children. It came and went. He got custody. Two weeks after that, the FBI couldn't find him. He wasn't at church. His kids weren't at church. Not just one Sunday. I mean, like, 
poof, he was gone. Like he never came back after that. That's an example of what God knew would happen. Blessings and ease and comfort distract some people from seeking the Lord. So he said, beware, lest you forget the Lord when everything's going good and when you have blessings, right? And everything's working out. Beware. Don't forsake the Lord. Don't forsake His commandments. You know, we have to think, we're we're not under the commandments in the sense that they were in the Old Testament. But those laws and those guidelines still contain truth that you and I would do well to consider as we live our lives. It doesn't mean we we shouldn't do them anymore. It just means we don't have to. We're not ceremonially bound to those things. But there's a lot of truth that we can still observe that would still bless us if we do. Deuteronomy 8.11 says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I just like to take a practical look at some of this. And so I'll I'll, I'll give you an example of how I do that. In Deuteronomy 8.11, it uses those words, and you can see it up here. Commandments, judgments, statutes. Look, just think about each one of those is a different way of describing the Word of God. Psalm 119 is full of this. It uses words like that to describe the Bible. All right? So the idea for the New Testament Christian is that we just need to remember God's words and live what the Bible teaches us. We're not bound by those ceremonial laws, but we should still consider the universal truths that are embedded in those. Right? So Deuteronomy 8.11 says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord. Don't forget His word. Right? Uh, Judges 13, 4 and and 13. We're going to find, this is uh, talking about uh, the life of Samson. God was talking to his parents, his dad. Samson's father's name was Manoah. And it says in Judges 13, 4, it says, Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink. This was instructions uh, for his mother. And eat not any unclean thing. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. So God was saying to her in verses 4 and 13, Keep the instructions that I gave you. Now, in his life, there was a reason for that. Samson was going to enter into a special relationship with the Lord. It was called being a Nazarite. He took a special vow. But he was going to be a Nazarite from birth, meaning his mother was going to begin or initiate this relationship in the way that she carried him first. And then Samson later would continue that by the way he lived his life afterwards. Now, if you you study the life of Samson, you'll find that he gradually, one at a time, violated the terms of that relationship. And because of that, he lost his power. And can I just say to you and I, there's a practical application there for us. When we neglect God's Word and we ignore what He says, and one by one we we stop doing the good things, the godly things that God has instructed us to do in His Word, hey, listen, it will lead to the same conclusion that you and I will lose the power of God in our life, perhaps His favor, maybe that hedge of protection even that He's put around us that we learned about in the life of Job. And sometimes... Things in our life happen to us because 
We forgot the Lord and walked away from His Word. We, we, we made ourselves vulnerable in doing so. And we say, why is this happening to me? It may be happening because of what you have done. You know, there are things that we bring on to ourselves. The storm in Jonah's life was Jonah's fault because he ran from God. He ran right into that storm. And what happened there? Even those sailors understood it. The lost around him, they were not believers, but they understood that he caused that storm in his life. You know, sometimes we can be the cause of the problems that we experience because we forget the Lord, because we do not keep His Word. We walk away from the truth that God gives us. Hey, let's not forsake His commandments. Let's not forsake service. And let's not forsake serving the Lord and serving others. Let's remember what God taught us about that. 2 Peter 3.17 says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You know, there have been many times we've looked around at church, scratched our head one day and said, hey, where's, where's brother so-and-so? Where is sister so-and-so? You know, they used to be faithful. You know, they used to be dedicated. They used to be Man, they used to be here all the time. I remember pastoring in another place and knocking on doors one day. I, to my surprise, I'm, I'm visiting this family and I'm trying to give them the gospel. And we sit down in the living room and I ask them because I'm looking around and I'm thinking, well, you know, this doesn't look like a church going family. I'm just going by appearance. I, I don't know anything else yet. I'm just meeting them for the first time. And so I sit down and I say, hey, do, do you know the Lord Jesus, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Could I take the Bible and show you how to, how to be saved and how to know the Lord? And the lady says, oh yes. Hey, listen, we used to teach Sunday school down there at the church, you pastor. I was blown away. I said, okay. I said, really? That's, that's wonderful, I think. <laughs> I mean, it is wonderful that you did that at one time. But my next question that I didn't ask out loud, but I'm thinking in my heart, what happened? What happened? I've been there some time. I've never seen you there. I knocked on your door today. I didn't even know you had ever been to our church or any church for that matter. What happened? You know, we wonder that about a lot of people. What happened to them? They fell from their own steadfastness. You know, it happens when we forget God and we walk away from Him. We stop doing things that we know God blesses. And we allow distance to come between us and the Lord. Hey, listen, if, you're, if you were saved, you're still saved. But you can be saved and be away from God in your relationship. You know, like the Bible says, Peter followed Him afar off. And it says he went to stand with his accusers. He went to stand with that crowd around the fire. And, and the Bible says he warmed himself by their fire. Really? Yeah, you know, Christians do that sometimes. There's a lot of reasons. We get hurt, we get tired, we get distracted, we get intimidated. 
And we cuddle up around the world's fire sometimes. Act like we don't know Jesus. Who are you, who are you talking about? What a shame. It was shameful when Peter did it. And it's shameful when we do it. When we're so intimidated or we're so fearful that we're embarrassed to be associated with the Lord. God help us. God forgive us. As merciful as He was on Peter, I know He's merciful to us too. And I'm not trying to beat us up today about that. I just want to point out that we... It's possible. We can forget the Lord. We can get away from Him. And we need to beware and not let that happen. I don't know how long you've known the Lord as your Savior. I don't know how long you've experienced Christ's forgiveness. But I want to give you, I want to give you the warning this morning. Beware of forsaking the Lord. Beware of getting out of church. You say, oh no, not me, preacher. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't that what Peter said? Hey, listen, I'll never deny you. Really? Beware of getting out of His Word. I'm just going to tell you, beware of that. Beware of, of not living the Christian life. Beware of not making the Lord the centerpiece of what you do at home and at work and everywhere else you go, not just in here. Hey, can I tell you something? If our Christianity only happens in this building, then we don't really have anything worth celebrating, folks. God's presence and His work was never meant to be contained in four walls. And since we're so focused on New Testament Christianity, let me remind you, the church is not the building that we meet in. Church is the assembly. It's when we come together. That's why you're not the church when you go fishing on Sunday on the lake, even though you might be praying or whatever else you're doing. That's not church. Church is the coming together. It's the assembling of believers. It's this meeting that we're having. And it would be church, whether it's in this building or out there under a tree. But it's too cold to be out there. So we're in here today. Amen? Beware, lest thou forget the Lord. Don't forsake serving others. Don't forsake your service to the Lord. Deuteronomy 15.9 says, Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother. And thou givest him naught, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Now God had a, a, a law for them, that in the seventh year they were to return some things, right? And God said, don't forget the poor. When it's time, He said, don't you? Don't you withhold what's due to them? God wanted His people to be generous, to be giving. I remember we, we went through that discipleship series together as a church family of the growth points in 2 Peter chapter 1. And when we get to the end of the list and we talk about charity hey, I'm going to tell you, just, just studying for that and trying to prepare it convicted my heart because, look, I thought I was generous. I strive to be pretty generous. I, I think it comes natural for me. But as I studied that out more, I realized how much, how much room to grow that I have. I don't know about you, 
But I thought, wow, I'm not even, I'm not even scratching the surface of what we call love or charity in God's word. There's so much more for us to do. And so God's reminding us that in Deuteronomy 15, 9. He's just saying, hey, remember the poor. Proverbs says it like this. <clears throat> it says that when we, have, that when we give to the poor, <clears throat> it says that, that God remembers that, right? And basically that he will return it to us again. He that hath pity upon the he that, he that hath pity upon the poor, let's see. He that lendeth to the poor. I can't remember how it goes. You remember how it goes? There it is. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he give again. Right? So God repays. He blesses. He helps us when we do what he's asked us to do. And uh, forgive my, my memory there. Uh, my wife's helping me. <clears throat> I still blame it on COVID. I'm just uh, uh, having that a few times. Uh, uh, it has affected me, you know. Uh, and, hey, being in the 50 Club has nothing to do with it. It's really all COVID, right? Uh, so, so just remember that. <clears throat> and so here we are, moving on. Number two, beware of forsaking the Lord. Number two, Jesus wanted us to beware of something else. This is written in God's Word, not in Deuteronomy, but we're going to turn over now to the New Testament. And we're going to look at something else God wanted us to beware of. Beware of forsaking the Lord, getting away from Him in your life. That's a good warning. But number two, beware of Phariseeism. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. Just a simple admonition that the Lord gives us. Luke chapter 12. In verse 1, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all. So remember, this is, this is something Jesus is teaching his disciples. Look what he says. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The word leaven there is a word that, uh, it's yeast. And he was talking, he was comparing that to the teachings, or, or what we would call the doctrine of the Pharisees. He was saying to his disciples, beware of what they believe and what they teach. Because he said, it's hypocrisy. Now I want to talk about Phariseeism just a little bit. <clears throat> uh, you know, when people think about the Pharisees, they often, the term legalism comes to mind. And I want you to understand something. If you're saved today, you're saved because you simply believed on the Lord for salvation. Now that was a word I was considering preaching on today, the word believe. Uh, it's a simple word, but you know what? Salvation is a simple transaction. Now, it is very complicated, but it's simple to us because Christ did all the work. And because He did all the work, it's very simple for you and I to enter into salvation and to have it done because all we have to do is accept. The word believe has the idea that we acknowledge God. That's what the Roman centurion did when he looked up at Jesus on the cross and said, truly this man was the Son of God. What was he doing? He was acknowledging the Lord Jesus as God. In order to believe for salvation, you have to do that. 
You have to understand who you're talking about, and you have to acknowledge Him in your heart and mind. Number two, you have to accept Him as your Savior. That happened in Acts chapter 8 when Philip was witnessing to the eunuch. He said, hey, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, hold time out. Baptism's not what saves you. He didn't say that, but what he said was, you can't get baptized unless you believe with all your heart that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, So the eunuch says, I believe. And then what does Philip do? He stops the chariot, they get down, and he baptizes him. Why? He baptizes him on the acknowledgement of his faith, his belief. It's that simple. Now, by the way, in, inside, we don't talk about this when we're witnessing and sharing our faith. Now, some people do. Some people bring it up. But I think it's something that has to happen and often happens unconsciously in the mind of a sinner who accepts Christ as their Savior. It's, it's the concept of repentance. There has to be repentance in the heart and mind of a sinner in order for them to acknowledge Jesus as God and accept Him as their Savior. Because listen, in order to believe God, they have to unbelieve in themselves. And that's where the term legalism comes in. <clears throat> because after acknowledging Jesus is God, after accepting Him as Savior like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, like Saul of Tarsus did in Acts chapter 9, and like the jailer did in Acts chapter 16, <clears throat> there has to be trust. And when we, when we come to Christ for salvation, we have to put all our trust in what He did on the cross, not what we can do. Not what we are doing, not what we will do. Salvation means you're trusting Jesus. He died on the cross. He shed His blood. That blood washes away my sins. There's nothing else. That's why we can be confident that we're Christians, that we're saved, that we're going to heaven. I can be confident about that because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says in John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Okay, so I understand by the promise of God that when I accept Christ and I stop trusting myself, put all my trust in what He did on the cross, when that happens, I'm saved. So if somebody were to ask you, hey, if you were that I today... Would you go to heaven? You can say yes. And they say, how do you know that? That next answer is very important. I've asked people a lot of times, hey, if you died today, would you go to heaven? They say, oh, yeah. Great. How do you know that? Now, that's not the way I ask them. Usually I'll say this. Well, listen. If I needed to get to heaven, and I want to be really sure that I make it, because I don't want to miss heaven. And I know that you know how to get there because you said yes. I came and asked you, hey, what do I have to do to make sure I'm going to heaven? What would you tell me? Now, if they really know Christ and they're really saved, they'll tell you. But if they don't, they're going to give you a list of things. They're going to say, well, you got to be good. you got to have faith. you got to go to church. And I'll let them just, you know, rattle off all that. Sometimes it'll be three things. Sometimes it'll be four or five. It doesn't matter. Because every time they do that, 
I'm going to go right back down the list. I'm going to say, okay, if I do this and this and this, then am I surely going to heaven? I'm surely going to go, right? They always come up with one or two more. Well, you know, you got to be good. Well, you got to mean it. Well, you got to. And on and on it goes. You know why? Because your conscience will never be soothed by what you do. It'll never be enough. And there's a reason for that. Because the Bible says you can't do enough to get to heaven. You fall short. We all fall short because of sin. Good works don't erase bad ones. So no matter how much you do, you're still a sinner. You're still guilty. And until that sin is wiped away, something you cannot do, until that sin is gone, until it's wiped away, you cannot be assured of heaven. But praise the Lord. When Jesus comes, He wipes it away. And that's why we can be sure we're going to heaven. Now the term legalism is when you add something to Jesus. People say, well, you got to believe in Jesus and you got to live it. Uh-uh. That's legalism. Legalism is when you add the law to salvation. Well, you got to keep the commandments. Well, you got to go to church. Well, you got to get baptized. Well, you got to you got to this and you got to that. No, 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 no. Listen, you you you've crossed the line and you've gone into the territory now that we refer to as legalism. It's when you add works to faith. Now, real faith produces works. That's what Brother James talked about in the book of James. There's no conflict in the Scriptures. James explains it perfectly. Real faith will produce works. It'll be evident in your life. But you don't work in order to be saved. You work because you are saved. Anytime you add stuff you got to do to believing on Jesus, and you say that equals salvation, you're wrong. It means that you are not fully trusting what Jesus did. You're trying to trust Him and what you can do. That's not how it works. Read the book of Hebrews. The Bible says Jesus by Himself purged our sins. Hey, I got good news for you this morning. He doesn't need your help. And that's good news. Look, what if there were requirements to get to heaven? What if you had to do certain things? Imagine what those things might be. Let's just start with a simple one, right? Um, going to church. All right, if you go to church faithfully, you can get to heaven. Anybody ever miss church? Well, you're out. What about people that can't come? What about people that are laid up, maybe in the hospital or in a nursing home? What about people that, that are homebound? They can't be saved at all? You think God don't care about them? What about children who don't have control over where they go and what they do? No, God made it easy for everyone to be saved. That's why there are, no, there are no lists. There are no things you have to do except believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
Yes, that includes repentance because we've got to change our minds about who we are. We've got we to stop believing that we're good enough or that we can be good enough to get there. We have to quit believing some things in order to put all of our trust in Jesus. But if you have, then rest assured this morning that you are saved. Jesus washes away your sins. And the Bible says that He keeps you. He holds on to you. It's not you holding on to Him. It's not about what you do or don't do or didn't do or have done. None of that. It's about Him. Now, that doesn't mean you don't need to try to do some things in life. That doesn't mean you don't need to make an effort to follow the Lord. You do. But you don't make that effort in order to get you to heaven. You make that effort to please the Lord now that you are His child. Right? The natural relationship, every, every child wants to please their parents. Beware of Phariseeism. Now, why? Because Pharisees, number one, are proud. God hates pride. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll find that out. And Jesus tells us that the Pharisees are some proud folks. But you know what? I've learned that church people can be like that. And God said, beware of Phariseeism because they're proud. Mark chapter 12, verse 38 says this, And He said unto them in His doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces. And why did they do that? It was pride. They wanted to be seen. The Bible said they loved to stand on the corners and recite long prayers to be seen of men. And you know what Jesus said? Okay. He said they have their reward for that. The recognition of men, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. God is not honoring pride, even when it's in the heart of His children. Beware of Phariseeism because they're proud. Look at Luke chapter 20, verse 46. We should have it up here. Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces, the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts. That recognition, boy, they love it. He said, beware of that. Because they're proud. Number two, because Pharisees are judgmental. Beware of Phariseeism because they're judgmental. John chapter 8, verses 3 through 6 says this, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, we should, that she should be stoned, or such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Verse 6 says, And they said, tempting him. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Oh, he heard them. And when he finished what he was writing in the ground, they were all under such conviction they walked away. Because Jesus knew they were just being judgmental. Let me tell you how we know this. Because the Bible says they caught this woman in the very act. Now, you don't, you don't catch somebody in the act unless, number one, you know ahead of time what's going on. Number two, you know where they are and who they're with. Where was the guy? Well, they didn't bring him. And since they didn't bring him too, it makes me kind of wonder. I wonder, if her, was it one of their buddies? Did they set her up? She was just a pawn. 
somebody they could use to trap Jesus in his words because they hated him. They were being judgmental. A few weeks ago, we studied Matthew chapter 7. And you know, verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. But the key to that passage is verses 1 through 5. And when you get down to verse 5, Jesus teaches his followers, don't be a hypocrite. So what he's really doing there in verses 1 through 5 is he's teaching us how to judge. So that we're not being hypocrites when we do it. God's not telling us don't ever put a label on something. Don't use discernment. That's not the Bible message. But he said, don't be a hypocrite when you do that. And so the Pharisees are hypocritical because of this. God said, beware of them. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5 says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, and considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam, something bigger, is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. You see, Jesus said when we do this right, then we can help our brother, and we can point to things, and we can give guidance. But we can't do it hypocritically like the Pharisees. We can't ignore the issues in our life and expect to straighten everybody else out. Jesus said, straighten yourself out first. Don't be a hypocrite. Number three, we gave this Wednesday night. I'll give a little extra information. But there's a third beware in Scripture. And that is beware of false prophets. There's an overlap here. I, I didn't intend that from Wednesday night. Uh, so here it is. Matthew 7, verse 15. Uh, we, we saw that together. Um, you know, when we, when we looked, let's just turn there for a moment. And, uh, and we, we saw how the Lord helped us understand that we need to beware. Because, you know, many Christians just think, well, if somebody's, hey, if somebody's got a Bible and they're teaching me, then it must be good. It must be true. Well, in the world we live in, that is not the case. And the Lord said that we are to beware of false prophets. In Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, He describes them as a wolf within. What do wolves do? Wolves kill. And often, wolves kill for the sheer pleasure of killing. They're not always killing to eat. Often wolves are killing to kill. And they just leave carcasses everywhere. So, we have an enemy. The Bible says our enemy is the devil. And his supporters, his followers, his angels, the Bible says, are able to transform themselves into angels of light. They love to appear as if they're good. And on the side of God, people expect the devil to show up in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. No, no, no. He's more likely to show up in a suit carrying a Bible under his arm. Because the devil wants to transform himself to appear to represent truth when he does not. Actually, the Bible says he's the father of lies. You ever believe the lie? 
Why? Was it because you woke up one day and said, I want to be dumb today. I'm just going to believe something that's totally false. No? You believe the lie. I'm going to tell you why. Because it has just enough truth in it to make you think it's real. That's why you believed it. Because it sounded good and it made sense and there was just enough truth there to convince you. Well, that's how the devil works. And that's why Jesus said, beware of false prophets. Every Christian needs to understand this caution from the Lord. Every believer needs to know that not everyone who holds a Bible is giving you the truth and that it is your responsibility, yes, to judge and label that individual to know they're a true prophet or a false prophet. You know, it's interesting. In that passage, Jesus said, by their fruits shall you know them. And sometimes we have inappropriately taken that admonition and we have applied it to every Christian. Man, I'm going to be a fruit inspector. I'm checking everybody out. Man, I want to know if they're right with God. That's not what Jesus told us to do. Remember, he said, take care of the beam in your eye, right? And occasionally you'll be able to help your brother. But when he said, by their fruit shall you know them, he was talking about you analyzing those who teach you. Those who, who are prophets and leaders, uh, those, those who are giving instruction, you need to know, should I follow them or not? And by the way, that's why God's given us a Bible, so that you can verify. There was a, a statement that, that I heard I thought was wise, and it goes like this, trust, but verify. And that's what every Christian should be doing when they sit under the preaching of God's Word. You should have your Bible out, you should be following along, and you should be trusting but verifying what you're being taught and what's being spoken. Because you need to know that you're being led in the right direction. That's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Guess what? If Paul takes a, a detour, you're still following Christ. Amen? So beware of false prophets. Notice 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So, so what's Paul saying here? He's saying the gospel is the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we preach it to men for the forgiveness of sins. But do you know how many other things are preached and referred to as gospel? They are not. There is what people call the social gospel. And there is the prosperity gospel just to name a couple. Those are not the gospel. They're not the gospel at all. Now, I know some people use the word gospel when they really mean the word truth. You know, you say something that's absolutely true and they'll say, that's gospel. Well, you know, I know what they mean, but that's not the gospel either. The real gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that He died for our sins, that we can be saved through Him. That's the gospel. 
And we need to understand that so that we'll know when people are giving us something else and calling it the gospel. Don't be deceived by false prophets that are in the world. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. He's clarifying that there's only one true gospel. But there be some that trouble you who would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, the death, burial, and resurrection, what does he say? Let him be accursed. Words that you and I, we have to heed those. Beware of false prophets. Because false prophets preach a false gospel. False prophets, they also spread false doctrine. The word doctrine meaning teaching. 1 John chapter 4 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And there's people spreading false teaching, even in churches, where you would suspect that couldn't happen, but it does. False teaching. When people are giving out false teaching, things that are contrary to the Word of God, then you know who that is. It's a false prophet. I gave the example of watching YouTube one time and listening to a pastor make the case for, for this transgenderism and all that's going on in our country and, and trying to say that God didn't know what He was doing when He only gave us two choices. And I thought, what a heretic. What false doctrine you are teaching right now? Teaching someone's feelings instead of teaching what the Bible says. As a pastor, you shouldn't do that. That's a violation of your office and of the trust that's been given to you. And so how this pastor now is misrepresenting the Word of God to his congregation. You know, and then the camera pans over the audience. And I thought, man, there are multitudes, there are hundreds of people sitting there listening to this guy spew out this nonsense. And I said, shame on him, first of all, for not preaching what the Bible says, but then shame on them for following and supporting him. Guess what? He's going to continue to do it. Bible believers need to walk away from that kind of teaching. You need to find a church that teaches and preaches the Bible and stay there because it will help you. They will spread false doctrine. Let me give you the last one. False prophets will spoil men. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. You say, why is this so important that I beware? Look, beware lest you get distance lest you get away from God in your own life. That can hurt you. Beware of that. Beware of Phariseeism. You don't want to become an extremist and you don't want to be, you don't want to be ritualistic and Phariseeistic. You don't want to be proud and judgmental and hypocritical. Beware of that. You can become that as a believer, you know. God is saying beware of that. And beware of false prophets. The Bible says people can spoil you. You know that word spoil? You know what it means? It basically means to rob you. 
When, when, when one army would overthrow another army, they would take all of their valuables. And they called that the spoils. The goods. The reward. The Bible says someone can take your spoils. They can spoil you. Come in and, and take your blessings and take your protection and your provision. Take the good things of God away from you. Who does that? False prophets do that. Let me give an example. Someone gets interested in the Lord and they want to be saved. But they get under a false prophet. And the false prophet preaches a message that is not the gospel. And the false prophet tells those people that you just got to come to church and give and be good. And somehow you'll make it. And they live their life ever hoping, never knowing that their sins are forgiven and that they have a home in heaven. And they die one day without Christ, without forgiveness. They stand before God in judgment one day, a sinner, guilty. Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. They have been spoiled. Robbed of the most valuable thing you can gain on this earth. Your soul. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There's no profit in that. He said, or what would man give in exchange for his soul? You see how a false prophet can spoil you, can rob you? That's just one of many ways. I don't have time to elaborate further. But that's why the Lord said, beware. Lest, beware of these false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing. They look real good. They sound good. But He said, inwardly, they're ravening wolves. What's a ravening wolf? It's the, it's the wolf with his fangs showing. It's the wolf that wants to bite and devour and kill you. So don't let that cuteness on the outside, that big pepsodent smile, don't let that deceive you. Because Jesus said on the inside, there's something deadly that you need to stay away from. It will bring you harm. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, how we thank You for this message. Lord, this timely warning that we as believers have some things to beware of. And we just ask You, Lord, to help us remember these as we continue on our Christian journey. Lord, I pray that we would apply them to our lives even today. Help us to be close to You. Lord, help us to be genuine and humble, not Pharisees. And help us, Lord, to beware of false prophets, to watch out for those who would preach false things and distort and change the truth. May we be ever aware and mindful and watching so that we don't get caught in their trap, so that we don't get spoiled. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we ask.